Part Two, Sections Twenty One and Twenty Two of Flatland. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Ruth Golding. Flatland: A Romance of Many Dimensions by Edwin Abbott Abbott, Section Twenty One. How I tried to teach the theory of three dimensions to my grandson, and with what success. I awoke rejoicing and began to reflect on the glorious career before me. I would go forth, methought, at once, and evangelise the whole of Flatland. Even to women and soldiers should the gospel of three dimensions be proclaimed. I would begin with my wife. Just as I had decided on the plan of my operations, I heard the sound of many voices in the street, commanding silence. Then followed a louder voice. It was a herald's proclamation. Listening attentively, I recognised the words of the resolution of the council, enjoining the arrest, imprisonment, or execution of any one who should pervert the minds of the people by delusions, and by professing to have received revelations from another world. I reflected. This danger was not to be trifled with. It would be better to avoid it by omitting all mention of my revelation, and by proceeding on the path of demonstration, which, after all, seemed so simple and so conclusive, that nothing would be lost by discarding the former means. Upward, not northward, was the clue to the whole proof. It had seemed to me fairly clear before I fell asleep, and when I first awoke, fresh from my dream, it had appeared as patent as arithmetic. But somehow it did not seem to me quite so obvious now. Though my wife entered the room opportunely just at that moment, I decided, after we had interchanged a few words of commonplace conversation, not to begin with her. My pentagonal sons were men of character and standing, and physicians of no mean reputation, but not great in mathematics, and in that respect unfit for my purpose. But it occurred to me that a young and docile hexagon with a mathematical turn would be a most suitable pupil. Why, therefore, not make my first experiment with my little precocious grandson, whose casual remarks on the meaning of three-cubed had met with the approval of the sphere? Discussing the matter with him, a mere boy, I should be in perfect safety, for he would know nothing of the proclamation of the council, whereas I could not feel sure that my sons, so greatly did their patriotism and reverence for the circles predominate over mere blind affection, might not feel compelled to hand me over to the prefect, if they found me seriously maintaining the seditious heresy of the third dimension. But the first thing to be done was to satisfy in some way the curiosity of my wife, who naturally wished to know something of the reasons for which the circle had desired that mysterious interview, and of the means by which he had entered our house. Without entering into the details of the elaborate account I gave her, an account, I fear, 
not quite so consistent with truth as my readers in Spaceland might desire. I must be content with saying that I succeeded at last in persuading her to return quietly to her household duties, without eliciting from me any reference to the world of three dimensions. This done, I immediately sent for my grandson, for, to confess the truth, I felt that all I had seen and heard was in some strange way slipping away from me, like the image of a half-grasped, tantalising dream, and I longed to essay my skill in making a first disciple. When my grandson entered the room, I carefully secured the door. Then, sitting down by his side, and taking our mathematical tablets, or, as you would call them, lines, I told him we would resume the lesson of yesterday. I taught him once more how a point by motion in one dimension produces a line, and how a straight line in two dimensions produces a square. After this, forcing a laugh, I said, "'And now, you scamp, you wanted to make me believe that a square may in the same way by motion, upward, not northward, produce another figure, a sort of extra square in three dimensions. Say that again, you young rascal.' At this moment we heard once more the herald's, "'Oh, yes, oh, yes,' outside in the street proclaiming the resolution of the council. Young though he was, my grandson, who was unusually intelligent for his age, and bred up in perfect reverence for the authority of the circles, took in the situation with an acuteness for which I was quite unprepared. He remained silent till the last words of the proclamation had died away, and then, bursting into tears, "'Dear Grandpapa,' he said, "'that was only my fun, and of course I meant nothing at all by it, and we did not know anything then about the new law, and I don't think I said anything about the third dimension, and I am sure I did not say one word about upward, not northward, for that would be such nonsense, you know. How could a thing move upward and not northward?' "'Upward and not northward!' Even if I were a baby, I could not be so absurd as that. How silly it is! <laughs> not at all silly, said I, losing my temper. Here, for example, I take this square, and at the word I grasped a movable square which was lying at hand. And I move it, you see, not northward, but, yes, I move it upward. That is to say, not northward, but I move it somewhere not exactly like this, but somehow— Here I brought my sentence to an inane conclusion, shaking the square about in a purposeless manner, much to the amusement of my grandson, who burst out laughing louder than ever, and declared that I was not teaching him, but joking with him. And so saying, he unlocked the door and ran out of the room. Thus ended my first attempt to convert a pupil to the gospel of three dimensions. Section 22 How I then tried to diffuse the theory of three dimensions by other means, and of the result. My failure with my grandson did not encourage me to communicate my secret to others of my household. 
yet neither was I led by it to despair of success. Only I saw that I must not wholly rely on the catchphrase upward not northward, but must rather endeavour to seek a demonstration by setting before the public a clear view of the whole subject, and for this purpose it seemed necessary to resort to writing. So I devoted several months in privacy to the composition of a treatise on the mysteries of three dimensions. Only with the view of evading the law, if possible, I spoke not of a physical dimension, but of a thought-land, whence, in theory, a figure could look down upon flatland, and see simultaneously the insides of all things, and where it was possible that there might be supposed to exist a figure environed, as it were, with six squares and containing eight terminal points. But in writing this book I found myself sadly hampered by the impossibility of drawing such diagrams as were necessary for my purpose. For of course in our country of flatland there are no tablets but lines, and no diagrams but lines, all in one straight line, and only distinguishable by difference of size and brightness so that when I had finished my treatise, which I entitled Through Flatland to Thoughtland, I could not feel certain that many would understand my meaning. Meanwhile my life was under a cloud. All pleasures palled upon me. All sights tantalised and tempted me to outspoken treason, because I could not but compare what I saw in two dimensions with what it really was if seen in three, and could hardly refrain from making my comparisons aloud. I neglected my clients and my own business to give myself to the contemplation of the mysteries which I had once beheld, yet which I could impart to no one, and found daily more difficult to reproduce, even before my own mental vision. One day, about eleven months after my return from Spaceland, I tried to see a cube with my eye closed, but failed, and though I succeeded afterwards, I was not then quite certain, nor have I been ever afterwards, that I had exactly realised the original. This made me more melancholy than before, and determined me to take some step, yet what? I knew not. I felt that I would have been willing to sacrifice my life for the cause, if thereby I could have produced conviction. But if I could not convince my grandson, how could I convince the highest and most developed circles in the land? And yet at times my spirit was too strong for me, and I gave vent to dangerous utterances. Already I was considered heterodox, if not treasonable, and I was keenly alive to the dangers of my position. Nevertheless, I could not at times refrain from bursting out into suspicious or half-seditious utterances, even among the highest polygonal and circular society. When, for example, the question arose about the treatment of those lunatics who said that they had received the power of seeing the insides of things, I would quote the saying of an ancient circle, 
who declared that prophets and inspired people are always considered by the majority to be mad, and I could not help occasionally dropping such expressions as the eye that discerns the interiors of things, and the all-seeing land. Once or twice I even let fall the forbidden terms, the third and fourth dimensions. At last, to complete a series of minor indiscretions, at a meeting of our local speculative society, held at the palace of the prefect himself, some extremely silly person having read an elaborate paper, exhibiting the precise reasons why Providence has limited the number of dimensions to two, and why the attribute of omnividence is assigned to the supreme alone, I so far forgot myself as to give an exact account of the whole of my voyage with the sphere into space, and to the assembly hall in our metropolis, and then to space again, and of my return home, and of everything that I had seen and heard in fact or vision. At first, indeed, I pretended that I was describing the imaginary experiences of a fictitious person, but my enthusiasm soon forced me to throw off all disguise, and finally, in a fervent peroration, I exhorted all my hearers to divest themselves of prejudice, and to become believers in the third dimension. Need I say that I was at once arrested and taken before the council? Next morning, standing in the very place where, but a very few months ago, the sphere had stood in my company, I was allowed to begin and to continue my narration unquestioned and uninterrupted. But from the first I foresaw my fate. For the President, noting that a guard of the better sort of policeman was in attendance, of angularity little, if at all, under fifty-five degrees, ordered them to be relieved before I began my defence, by an inferior class of two or three degrees. I knew only too well what that meant. I was to be executed or imprisoned, and my story was to be kept secret from the world by the simultaneous destruction of the officials who had heard it. And this being the case, the President desired to substitute the cheaper for the more expensive victims. After I had concluded my defence, the President, perhaps perceiving that some of the junior circles had been moved by my evident earnestness, asked me two questions. 1. Whether I could indicate the direction which I meant when I used the words upward, not northward. 2. Whether I could, by any diagrams or descriptions, other than the enumeration of imaginary sides and angles, indicate the figure I was pleased to call a cube. I declared that I could say nothing more, and that I must commit myself to the truth, whose cause would surely prevail in the end. The President replied that he quite concurred in my sentiment, and that I could not do better. I must be sentenced to perpetual imprisonment but if the truth intended that I should emerge from prison and evangelise the world, the truth might be trusted to bring that result to pass. Meanwhile I should be subjected to no discomfort that was not necessary to preclude escape, and unless I forfeited the privilege by misconduct, I should be occasionally permitted to see my brother, 
who had preceded me to my prison. Seven years have elapsed, and I am still a prisoner, and, if I accept the occasional visits of my brother, debarred from all companionship save that of my jailers. My brother is one of the best of squares, just, sensible, cheerful, and not without fraternal affection. Yet I must confess that my weekly interviews, at least in one respect, cause me the bitterest pain. He was present when the sphere manifested himself in the council chamber. He saw the sphere's changing sections. He heard the explanation of the phenomena then given to the circles. Since that time, scarcely a week has passed during seven whole years without his hearing from me a repetition of the part I played in that manifestation, together with ample descriptions of all the phenomena in Spaceland, and the arguments for the existence of solid things, derivable from analogy. Yet, I take shame to be forced to confess it, my brother has not yet grasped the nature of the third dimension, and frankly avows his disbelief in the existence of a sphere. Hence I am absolutely destitute of converts, and, for aught that I can see, the millennial revelation has been made to me for nothing. Prometheus up in Spaceland was bound for bringing down fire for mortals, but I, poor flatland Prometheus, lie here in prison for bringing down nothing to my countrymen. Yet I exist in the hope that these memoirs in some manner, I know not how, may find their way to the minds of humanity in some dimension, and may stir up a race of rebels who shall refuse to be confined to limited dimensionality. That is the hope of my brighter moments. Alas, it is not always so. Heavily weighs on me at times the burdensome reflection that I cannot honestly say I am confident as to the exact shape of the once-seen, oft-regretted cube. And in my nightly visions the mysterious precept, Upward, not northward, haunts me like a soul-devouring sphinx. It is part of the martyrdom which I endure for the cause of the truth that there are seasons of mental weakness, when cubes and spheres flit away into the background of scarce possible existences, when the land of three dimensions seems almost as visionary as the land of one or none. Nay, when even this hard wall that bars me from my freedom, these very tablets on which I am writing, and all the substantial realities of Flatland itself, appear no better than the offspring of a diseased imagination, or the baseless fabric of a dream. The End of Flatland, A Romance of Many Dimensions by Edwin Abbott Abbott Read by Ruth Golding, October 2008